Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Niger Littlepool, uh, Head of Engineering at Sigma Ratings. Niger, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. Nice to be talking with you. Yeah, tell, tell me, listeners, about Sigma Ratings. What do you guys do? Um, yeah, in, in a nutshell, we, we, we stop the bad guys from getting into the financial system. Uh, the world is, has a really interconnected financial system at this point, and banks are communicating and trading and offering services to banks, all other banks all across the world. And, you know, we develop software that helps these banks understand the other banks that they're working with and to make sure that, you know, who they're working with are people that they can trust to be doing, you know, the right things to be stopping financial crime, uh, money laundering, and other things that are of, you know, kind of large focus from a regulatory and compliance standpoint within the banks. So are you saying that uh, bad guys on banks too, or is it just customers, individuals that are trying to perpetrate fraud and cause problems? Actually both. So, you know, we, we see instances of, you know, obviously customers, which is a lot of what the money laundering risk is. And there have been, you know, large regulatory actions that have happened in the last couple of years. Um, there were regulatory actions against banks in Mexico that were you know, having drug cartels as their customers. But we also see a lot of instances of banks having, you know, ownership or, you know, high-level executives or board members who are related to um, with whether it be, you know, terrorist organizations or they could be Russian oligarchs that the United States government has targeted for sanctions. So there's actually a lot of surface area for where those risks can exist with these banks. Well, what kind of activity? Um, I mean, I know you don't want to give away your secrets, obviously, but you know, what's the fraud that the public thinks is happening versus the fraud that's actually happening? Any insights? Um, yeah, I mean, some of it is, you know, things that you would think are happening, but are kind of hard to tell. Um, in a lot of cases, banks have not been great about being transparent. And so, you know, we're able to uncover certain things like, you know, the bank is actually owned by a holding company that is then owned by someone that no one really knew had any involvement in that bank. And so there's a lot of use of shell companies and holding companies to try to, you know, hide who actually owns, you know, these banks or other companies that these banks are working in. And, you know, in other instances, we're seeing that, you know, a lot of banks are not actually complying with the international standards that they need to be. They're kind of turning a blind eye away from, uh, from the regulatory responsibilities that they have. And so, you know, part of our process is that, we're, we're evaluating not only, you know, who and what with the bank, but also, you know, what are their internal processes around stopping crime? And are these banks actually doing what they're supposed to be doing? Well, how are you supposed to know? Um, I mean, are you just analyzing the financial data, the transactions in and out? Or, you know, how do you know who owns a bank or who really owns a bank or all those other items? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have two ways of evaluating a bank. Um, one of which is, you know, our software is able to crawl the internet for all the publicly available data that we could possibly hope to, you know, see about this bank, whether that's corporate registrations and who owns the bank, or whether that's their financial reports they have to put out to their stock exchange 
that we can go through and look for, you know, suspicious and anomalous, you know, behavior. Um, and additionally, what we also offer is, you know, we really believe that there are a lot of banks that are doing the right thing and that are interested in being transparent and are, you know, interested in stopping financial crime. And so what we allow is for these banks to opt in and actually share with us internal data about how they're, you know, mitigating risk and how they're handling that within their institution. And we're able to use that to also score, you know, what the bank does on the inside. And these banks want to do this because for them, it helps them differentiate themselves, right? You know, there's been an issue in the market of, you know, kind of wholesale saying that whole country is kind of risky. Let's just not deal with it, right? Something recently happened in Latvia. Uh, the bank called ABLV that got shut down by the EU. And so there's a lot of fear that maybe all the Latvian banks aren't great. And so, you know, it might be in the interest of the large American and, you know, EU banks to just kind of cut off their relationship. And so what our yeah. product can allow those banks to do is kind of prove that they're not one of the bad ones. Is this just for banks or is it for other financial institutions like, uh, you know, stock exchanges, things like that, fiduciaries? So right now, we, we definitely cover uh, mostly banks, but we are starting to expand into other uh, non-banking financial institutions, you know, with the hope that really, as we perfect this on, you know, something that's very standardized, like banks, we can start doing it on things like uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, where there's lots of fear about things like money laundering happening. Hmm. Well, in regards to crypto, I guess you'd have to have uh, software that can explore the various blockchains and see where transactions are going to and coming from. Do you have that on board yet? Or you is that like a module you're working on? Um, that's something we would think about. And a lot of what we'd also think about is, you know, less about the transactions on the crypto itself and somewhat about, you know, who is the authority behind the crypto, right? In some cases, that's no one, right? Like in the case of a Bitcoin or an Ethereum, but a lot of cryptocurrencies are actually tied to companies who have released these as some kind of financing vehicle, right? And are they doing their due diligence to make sure that the, the vehicle that they're releasing to finance whatever it is they're trying to do isn't being used to launder money? Yeah. How do you know when uh, what, what behavior tells you that someone's laundering money? I mean, is it just who it goes to and comes from or is it the amounts? Or, I mean, are there any, I don't know, again, I know you don't want to reveal nearly everything, but what can you say about it? How do you find whether someone's money laundering or not? Uh, that's a fair question. So, you know, a good example of kind of an internal control problem that we, we might be able to see is that um, is about, you know, how does the bank onboard new customers, right? If you see a bank that has a very lax process for how they bring people on board, they don't really double check whether or not that person's on any list. They don't, you know, have these requirements of certain data that the, their customers are required to share with them. Like they're they're setting up their process in a way in which they're kind of turning a blind eye to certain things. And then you combine that with they're in a certain jurisdiction where they're not required to report certain things. And then, you know, they are operating offices in certain countries where, you know, there's a lot of demand for those services. So you're seeing someone operate the uh, offices in maybe a Libya or a Syria where there's a lot of, you know, it's a hotbed of people trying to move money in and out of the country. Right. These are people that we would focus on and start saying, hey, look, there could be a problem there. Okay. Uh, interesting. I guess in the onboarding process, there's, I guess, uh, an AML and KYC, like anti-money laundering, know your customer requirements. Is that what you mean? Yes. Anything uh, above and beyond that that you see uh, would, would let you know that uh, a bank or an institution is not trustworthy? Or does that get into like proprietary type issues? 
Oh, no, absolutely. We can start talking about that. So one of the things is uh, we're looking at is cybersecurity. Um, there's been a number of instances recently of banks being hacked. Um, specifically, there was an incident in Bangladesh. And when these banks get hacked, their, their access to the rest of the global financial system is compromised. And so that's allowed hackers to actually take over the, you know, the software systems of a bank and then take money essentially out of the bank accounts and launder it through other banks, right? And so what we can see is that if you're a bank that is working with a lot of other banks that are, you know, essentially insecure in terms of their cybersecurity, you're at risk mm-hmm. of having a lot of money laundered through you if any of those banks have a failure. Oh, so you may be bank A and you have verified accounts, but if one of your large customers is another bank and they were compromised, then they could easily launder money through you and you'd think it's okay because they're verified and they seem to be a vetted source. Exactly. And so, you know, we're, we're really looking at technology that allows us to start, you know, just constantly testing these banks, you know, probing them and seeing, you know, where are their holes and, you know, yeah. their vulnerabilities and which banks have the right, both internal processes and both like, you know, the data they share with us and also the kind of data we can pick up just by hitting them on the public internet and figuring out, you know, who's vulnerable and who's not. Are there enough standards so that the industry is run right? Or are there enough standards that just not checked on enough? Or where do you see the weaknesses coming from? Um, I think that it's a combination. There are some standards, but they're not enforced the way that they really need to be. And so even the most basic standards, like there's a standard called the Wolfsburg Questionnaire, which is just like a it's a simple form that just asks, you know, do you do these things when you're dealing with AML and KYC? And, you know, we call the internet looking for these reports. And we find in some countries, 80, 90% of the banks have them. And then we see in other countries, maybe 5% of the banks have actually completed any of that. And it's impossible to know, you know, what, if anything, they're doing internally. And then on top of that, there's, you know, you said about, uh, you know, protocols and standards. There's not a lot of protocols in other areas like cybersecurity. There just isn't a standard for what is expected of these banks. And so you just see a huge range of capability. How do um, countries deal with the political fallout of being blacklisted or, you know, saying, hey, Latvia's banks are no good, stay away? You know, what's, what's the interplay there? Do you have to tread delicately or what do you do? Um, yeah, no, there's, there's actually been a lot of interest from the regulators um, in our product for that reason, because they're very afraid that it's going to hurt their economies, like at least on the government level. Um, but the unfortunate thing is that some of the, you know, the corruption issues have been, you know, exist in the government level. So in the case of Alapia, it seems like they're actually firing their bank superintendent for being kind of complicit with some of these things. Versus, you know, other countries are trying to figure out how they can engage with Western banks and Western governments in order to figure it out. And we think that, you know, our technology can offer some kind of a solution there. And do you have any uh, case studies yet? You know, have you been able to catch problems a lot earlier than other people have caught them? Or, uh, you know, have you exposed any big scandals or anything? Um, No, that's a good question. So, you know, so far we haven't had a case. We're just not that old. We're only, you know, a year old. So we haven't had a case where, you know, we've been saying this bank is, you know, on the something that we're, we're not feeling very confident on and then it actually coming up. Um, but I will say that at least on the back testing we've done, the banks that have had issues this year have all been in our models as banks that were weaker um, in terms of dealing with these issues. And how did you come up with this idea? What what's, uh well, I mean, not you personally, but well, how was the decision made to go into this area? 
That's a great question. So our co-founders, our CEO, he was the treasury attache for the United States government in Afghanistan and was out in the Middle East for about a decade, pretty much investigating banks in this manner uh, for the government to stop terror financing. And um, our other co-founder had spent some time working for a development bank. And development banks, you know, they make these investments across the world in order, you know, to make the world a better place. But they're very focused on not investing money places where their money is going to be used to launder money or as part of, you know, illegal crimes and schemes. And so both of them saw the need to use technology to kind of improve what they saw was happening, at least within governments and you know, private enterprise. Any examples of the craziest uh, fraud you've ever seen so far or the most audacious? I mean, some of it's not fraud, but there's definitely some. The craziest things we've seen are like, Seth? you'll look at the bank and you'll realize, okay, this bank is owned, 96% of the bank belongs to one oligarch. The CEO of the bank is the son of another oligarch. All the board members are kids of this other person, right? Their operating office is here where they're, it's so blatant. And then you're wondering how are they, how do they have a banking relationship with one of the largest banks in like New York? Like that, there are things that you see like that that don't add up where you start to wonder how those deals were negotiated. Is it a, a small community, the, you know, the, the owners of banks in the banking world? I would think it would be. Um, so what's interesting is that it's like in the West, Banks don't tend to be owned by one person. So, I, you know, we're not mm, used sorry. to the idea that just this one guy owns this whole bank. And then what we'll see in other countries, especially in the Middle East and Africa, is that it's totally fine for one person to just control the largest bank in the country. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> very, very different. Any, um, is there any tremendous lopsidedness to the industry? You know, certain countries like dominate banking and are responsible for 90% of the activity. I mean, what do you see as the landscape? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, one thing we see is that the Chinese banks are the largest in the world. Of the five largest banks in the world, four of them are Chinese, and they're way larger than everyone else. And so, you know, you have these huge banks that are also some of the least transparent banks. And so it's very hard to understand, you know, what they're doing to stop, you know, the flow of illicit finance. And so they're, they're one of the most interesting pieces of this puzzle because it's actually unclear how much of that money might be flowing through those banks. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I won't name exact names, but uh, someone in my family worked for a very large bank. And, and she said that literally every day, like a, a Chinese person would come in really young. And they'd open an account and they'd say they were a student. And then mm-hmm. within like a week or two weeks, they'd have like 500,000 or a million wired into the account. And then like a week later, they would withdraw it all. You know, and she saw this happen like every single day. And I just running a quick calculation. It seemed like, you know, at the time China must have been funneling, I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars through, you know, this U.S. bank at least. But I guess crazy stuff happens and, you know, you're not really aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, then at the same time, we see certain areas that are, you know, traditionally people think of them as very risky places, the Middle East, where there's a yeah. lot of companies that have you know, because of the focus on terrorism over the last 20 years that have, you know, created very clean banking systems, especially in the Gulf. Like those countries, are, they're complying with international standards. Their cybersecurity looks good. Um, they're hiring the right people and they have the right practices because there's been so much of a focus on them. And then otherwise, we've seen places in Eastern Europe, places in Latin America where things have kind of slacked off a bunch. 
And, you know, there is some concern about vulnerability in those areas. Very interesting. Hmm. Maybe it's a silly question. What about, uh, you know, credit unions and things like that, like in the U.S.? Do they, you know, are they any major part of the banking system or are they really small and minor? I mean, not in terms of volume, but I think they matter in a different sense, right? Um, you know, this whole process where a country might be labeled as risky and everyone pulls out, you know, we call that de-risking. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the biggest uh, victims of de-risking are people who are living in foreign countries who want to send money back home. You know, they're sending remittances. And mm. when it's super complicated to understand which banks and maybe the Caribbean are safe and which ones are used to launder money through shell companies, it becomes really difficult for someone like a credit union in the United States to actually know who they can have a good partnership with, where they can actually handle those remittances. And so I think it really does hurt a lot of people here who, you know, maybe they want to bank with a credit union and they can't because their credit union can't send money back to their home country. Do you, um, I guess as your customers, it would be governments and, you know, the banks themselves. Mm-hmm. Do you deal any? Do you deal with any like high net worth individuals or corporations that want to make sure they have secure banking, and they would use your data to let them know where and where not to go? So yeah, I mean, we're living in an era where data is really valuable, and so we've had some interest from private corporations, mostly in this case actually hedge funds, because there's interest in understanding the uh, where the potential is from an investment standpoint, right? No one wants to invest you know, in a company or in a bank or even in a project where you know that something related to that is going to have some kind of like money laundering scandal. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. What do you see as the uh, near future and the, you know, maybe three to five year future for the company? Where are you guys headed? What's coming? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think there's a couple of different directions we can go, but I think there's some things we do know, like, um, you know, a large part of what we're thinking about is that this has to be a technology first solution. Um, it's possible to hire an army of people to manually read through millions of legal documents, but that's just not scalable and is not efficient. And so, you know, we're working with a lot of natural language processing and investing a lot in that area in order to build technology that will allow us to really, like, analyze these things at a large scale. And from there, as a business, there's, like, a lot of things we can do. I mean, we have some pie-in-the-sky dreams where, you know, sometimes we're like, maybe we'll just be a bank, right? And if we can evaluate who are the safe customers, then, you know, we can offer these banking services and do it better than everyone else can. Or maybe we'll do something else. We'll sell, you know, data to, or we'll start doing this process, not just on banks, but actually on corporations themselves about how well they do at, you know, making sure that, you know, criminal activity isn't, you know, propagating through their companies. Yeah. One thing I would, I don't know if this happens except at the high levels, but when companies deal with vendors or just, other companies for other reasons, I highly doubt they vet who owns it, the structure, you know, if the taxes are paid, if the company's in good standing, if the company has nefarious dealings. I mean, I can see a module for that where you, you can vet who you're working with or who you want to work with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, we think there's a lot of potential in the supply chain just to understand those exact things where, you know, you don't want to be the company in the middle where actually you're part of a giant money laundering scheme that you don't even know about because you can't see it from that kind of bird's eye view. And so I think there's going to be a lot of interest in that, especially as there's just kind of been more of a crackdown, at least from regulators, on trying to attack some of this illicit finance. Like, you know, our CEO likes to cite a study that talks about how there's probably 
hundred trillion dollars worth of money laundered, you know, in a given year, but we catch maybe like one percent of that. Like we we catch such a little amount of the money that gets uh, laundered through the finance system. And I guess you you would have to employ AI, you know, machine learning to ever have a hope of processing all this data, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's really where, you know, the genesis of the company comes from. You know, I was working on that kind of stuff in a completely different domain, but understanding, okay, we now have the ability to do these things with computers and we need to start, you know, thinking about the problem or the solution really with those tools in mind. Any particulars that, you know, of your industry, is it uh, very difficult to use AI on the type of data you're looking at? You know, have you done it? Are the models seeming to work or is it just very thorny? What's it look like so far? You know, we're finding we have to build a lot of our own models from scratch, right? You know, a lot of the off-the-shelf AI things are very useful for standardized problems. Like if we wanted to identify objects and images, that's something that we could just pay Google for, uh, you know, licensing for their software. But, you know, we're looking at things like we need to be able to read every financial article in the world and figure out when the CEO of a bank has turned over. There's a new CEO. And that requires a brand new model because that's not something people have really been trying to solve with machine learning before. And so we're just you know, coming up across a lot of these kind of little problems where we're building our own models and really you know, building our own expertise there. So where are you at with your solutions? Are they being implemented right now or is it still the, uh, the testing phase? Um, so our beta launches next week, actually, and, you know, we, oh. we've partnered with a number of large banks and regulators who are going to be on our beta platform, and it'll give them access to, you know, all these all this data and the results of our models and analytics on all the banks in 16 countries. Oh, wow. Very good. Very good. All right. So what's the best way for folks to learn more about the platform and if they're in the banking world to, uh, you know, check out the beta or at least talk to you about collaboration or using your system? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's 2018. The easiest way is to go to our website, which is sigmaratings.com. And, you know, we have a lot of materials there about what we're working on. We have a blog that we, you know, we post to quite frequently. And, you know, we, we also post updates like our, our exec team is very active. Um, our COO was testifying in front of Congress this week. Our CEO was on CNBC the other day. So we're not that hard to find. That's great. We're very good with Nigel. Thanks for taking the time, and I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.